0: The college coaching carousel is in full swing. The committee unveils their newest rankings, and I'll preview each of the matchups in the Week 12 Pick 'Em League. It's all next. I'm Jay Smith, and this is After Further Review. And now, after further review, a Clemson student's perspective on sports. A personal foul this on number 99 of the. D- Well, welcome in everyone to another edition of After Further Review. Thanks so much for tuning in again. I'm Jay Smith, and we've got an exciting edition of AFR coming your way today. It's gonna to, gonna spend a lot of time in this show talking about the complete college football coaching carousel picture, all the different jobs that have you know opened this season, that have been filled, that have yet to be filled. Who's in the running at which? Uh, positions and you know some, some big names obviously have been circling around some jobs. So we're going to get into all of it. We're going to talk about all the different positions uh, that have, like I said, opened around the, the country. Every vacancy in college football this season will be covered in this discussion. And then obviously we're going to get to the updated playoff rankings released by the committee on Tuesday. Uh, talk about those a little bit, what we think about that. Not a lot of changes, but still some some interesting developments with the college football playoff rankings. And then finally we'll wrap up the show uh, as we wrap up every Thursday show with a little pick'em preview for the coming games this weekend. Get you ready for that slate. It figures to be an exciting weekend of college football. We're in the home stretch. We talked about that on most recent episode. We are in the home stretch of the regular season, the college football playoffs starting to take shape, conference championships starting to take shape. Got some teams locked into those conference championship games. But let's let's go back, let's start off with the coaching carousel news. And my goodness, it's it's a lot to digest. So we're gonna take it a team at a time. We're gonna try to make it as easy to understand as possible, and let's go ahead and dive into it. Now Obviously, the most recent news with regards to the coaching carousel is obviously the the announcement out of Virginia Tech that Justin Fuente is no longer with the program, uh, that they have uh, fired uh, Justin, but there was also some stuff I saw there on Twitter that they had basically, the administration and Justin Fuente had mutually agreed to either part ways or he was not coming back at the end of the season. I don't think he was up for contract renewal, but... It wasn't quite as heavy hammer as we've seen in other places, like earlier this season, right? USC Clay Helton, that was two weeks into the year. Uh, but the latest chatter on Virginia Tech now, obviously Shane Beamer, right? Shane Beamer, the current head coach at South Carolina. You know, he would be a name that certainly would pop up to fill this position. Obviously, Shane's father. Frank Beamer, a legendary Virginia Tech head coach, basically built that program into sort of a national contender. I mean, they've not been for a while, but when Frank Beamer was there, you could always count on the Hokies fielding a competitive football team. However, he has come out and said that he will not be a candidate to replace Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech, uh, The listen, Shane Beamer has had a fairly successful year in his first season at the helm of South Carolina. He's got the Gamecocks at a 5-5 five and five record in his first season, and they can reach bowl eligibility by winning one of their final two home games, either against Auburn on Saturday or when they take on the Clemson Tigers in their annual rivalry game on November 27th. And some background on Shane Beamer, he played at Virginia Tech from 95 to 99. He was an assistant head coach and running backs coach from 2011 to 2015. Obviously, strong ties to Virginia Tech. I mean, this is a guy that, again, his father is basically the greatest coach in that program's history. Frank Beamer, um, I'm not as well versed in the history of Virginia Tech football, but certainly in the modern era, when you think of great Virginia Tech head coaches, you think of Frank Beamer; the guy was a legend there. And you know, Shane addressed this in his press conference a little bit earlier this week. He he said, uh, you know, I love Virginia Tech, and I moved there when I was ten. My parents still live in Blacksburg, and it's always going to be a special place to me. But and he was speaking about South Carolina here. He says, but when I say this is my dream job, I wasn't just saying that to sound good in a press conference. Columbia is home for me, end quote. So Shane Beamer coming out and being pretty adamant publicly saying, hey, listen, I'm happy in Columbia. This is where I want to be. Uh, he's got the Gamecocks back at, you know, 5-5, five and five, right? That's a modest record. They're, yes, on the lower end of the SEC East, which without Georgia is certainly the weaker division of the SEC. But at the same time, you know, things will continue to improve. And if they're able to take down Auburn or Clemson in the next two games, which honestly are feasible. Auburn has looked rough at times this season. We have talked ad nauseum about Clemson's problems on this show this season. So South Carolina could find a way to win both of those games. Now, they could lose both of those games and miss the bowl season. That is entirely possible. But I I wouldn't put it past South Carolina to win one of those final two remaining games and get to a 6-6 six and six record, make a bowl game, and, and see where that carries you. So that's the update uh, with Virginia Tech. Um, now, Washington, they are beginning their coaching search, and two names that have popped up in that search are Baylor's Dave Aranda and Iowa State's Matt Campbell. Uh, former Huskies head coach Chris Peterson is according to reports, supposed to be advising current Washington AD Jim Cohen in the search, and according to reports, he thinks very highly of both Dave Aranda from Baylor and Matt Campbell from Iowa State. Now, Dave Aranda has more ties to the West Coast, and the success this season at Baylor, that's really boosted his stock, not just for this potential Washington head coaching job, But as we'll talk about a little bit later, possibly going back to LSU. I know he was just there as a D coordinator a couple years ago during that national championship run. But Dave Aranda right now is one of the hottest coaches in the country. And so he is on the shortlist for the job at Washington. And he very well may end up, Dave Aranda may end up having his pick of Pac-12 jobs between USC and Washington. It could very well Be one of those things where where Dave Irani gets to basically say, hey, you know, I I get to pick which one I want here, and I'm going to go with whatever program I prefer. Uh, Looking at Washington State, their current interim coach Jake Dickert, he's a pretty strong candidate right now to land that permanent role. According to reports, he has impressed administrators and you know has done a pretty good job because there was we talked about that uh, several weeks ago when. Uh, Nick Rolovich was fired from Washington State. Obviously, Nick Rolovich and four of his assistant uh, coaches were fired for refusing to, you know, uh, disclose their vaccination status or get the vaccine, and and so there was a lot of um, uncertainty with regards to. Okay, well, how is Washington State? How are they going to respond? Not just as you know, coaches, but as the football team, right? Because this affects all those players in the locker room at the end of the day. And the Cougars, they're doing pretty well. They can become bowl-eligible Friday when they host Arizona. Wins over Arizona and Washington would be huge. would be a huge way to cap off the end of the season for the Cougars. Washington State has not won the Apple Cup against Washington since 2012. So if Jake Dickert can get those two games under his belt or even go 1-1 one you know, if, if he beats Washington, I think he's a lock for the for the head coaching job. If he's able to beat Arizona, get bowl eligibility, but loses to Washington, it might become a little bit murkier. But so far, everything is indicating uh, that Jake Dickert will get the. He is the lead candidate for that head coaching job. Some other names that I've seen are uh, Nevada head coach Jay Norvell, Oregon offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead, and Fresno State coach Kalen DeBoer that they've all been considered for this position. But listen, at the end of the day, Jake Dickert, right, he's going to help with continuity. Uh, he's He's been in the program longer than any of those other guys I just mentioned. He'll be able to keep the roster and recruiting classes as unified as possible. And that's key. That's that's really key in, in college football, in today's college football, with everything going on with Transfer Portal, etc. So I wouldn't be surprised if Jake Dickert locks up that head coaching position at Washington State. Let's talk some TCU action now. So TCU is, from what I've seen, they're focusing on SMU's Sonny Dykes. Uh, that's really their number one guy right now. And uh, you know, from what I've seen on the SMU end, they're trying to sort of spice up a contract. And enhance what Dykes already has in order to get him to stay with the Mustangs. Um, but one of the things that SMU can't offer are the advantages of playing in a Power Five conference, right? TCU, being in the Big Twelve, they have that uh, that bargaining chip when they come to the table and say, "Listen, it's Power Five, you know, head coaching position." SMU they they can't offer that same um, an enhancement. So Sonny Dykes will certainly be lured. By TCU to, to coaching for the Horn Frogs, and you know SMU likely now won't be playing in the American Title game, which could free up Dykes to make a move um, after that regular season finale on November 27th that SMU has against Tulsa. Potential other TCU targets that I've seen, they include Louisiana's Billy Napier, and and that is less likely um, because Louisiana has already clinched. Their division and they're going to play in the Sun Belt Championship. So I think Sonny Dykes is is certainly the lead man right now for TCU. But this one is pretty murky compared to those other schools that we've already talked about. This this TCU job it's still because it's it was so recent. Uh, it's it's not quite as ironed out uh, yet. Let's talk a few top tier jobs. So we've talked about some you know schools that are yeah they're in the Power Five but they're not marquee. Names and and not big time jobs. Let's talk about some big time jobs. LSU probably the biggest. I mean, yes, the Tigers have had a tremendous drop off ever since they won that national championship in 2019, going 15-0. I, some people predicted it, right? I I said at the time this LSU team is going to struggle to be bowl eligible next season. That's exactly what happened, right? You lose your offensive coordinator, your defensive coordinator, nearly your entire You know, starting lineup on both offense and defense, all your big production guys, your quarterback, everybody, you're building the team from scratch. I know you have recruits. I know you have depth. But at the same time, that sort of chemistry, it takes time to build. And you're losing your coordinators on both offense and defense. You could argue that made more of a negative impact than losing the personnel on the field. Despite all that, LSU is still a big-time job. They're in the SEC West, which is the best division in college football. They have tremendous amounts of money and some of the nicest facilities in the country. So regardless of what your perception of LSU is right now, you can't ignore the fact that when that job becomes available, people take interest and take notice, and it's definitely a sought-after position. Obviously, the news came out earlier this season that Coach O, Ed O'Giron, who has a good record, While he's been head coach of the Tigers, he's 49-19 and at LSU, and he has announced, or the school and Ogeron collectively announced, that he will not return in 2022. That was announced a month ago, actually, on October 17th. We saw some names floated around at first. Jimbo Fishers came up. Now, Fisher has already come out and said pretty recently he would be, quote, the dumbest human on the planet to leave A&M and go coach at LSU mainly because of the recruiting class that he would then have to coach against. So he's saying the recruits I've got coming to A&M are so solid, why would I leave A&M, go to Baton Rouge, and have to coach against the guys i recruited? It makes sense. And, hey, we covered this in an episode earlier this season – Jimbo Fisher's the $9 million man, right? This guy's getting paid handsomely to coach in College Station, and if he's happy being head coach of the Texas A&M Aggies, I don't think any amount of money is going to be able to lure him away down into Baton Rouge. So I'm not sure that that's a likely scenario for LSU. Now, there is a connection between Jimbo Fisher and LSU athletic director Scott Woodard, because Woodard actually hired Fisher at Texas A&M. So again, a little bit of history there, but I don't see this being a likely uh, outcome for the Tigers. Another, you know, possibility though is Matt Campbell, right? I mean, Matt Campbell's a guy who has really done a lot at Iowa State these past few seasons, gotten them to field consistent teams. Their recruiting rankings have been improving, and they've been able to compete with some of the better teams in their conference, the Big 12. These past few seasons, I've also seen Lane Kiffin's thrown out there. Lane Kiffin's name thrown out there with regards to this LSU job. Now, I'd be shocked if Lane Kiffin were to leave Old Miss after only two seasons, one one real season. Let's be honest here. And the Rebels are rolling. I mean, in case you haven't noticed, but Old Miss is eight and two, ranked twelfth in the College Football Playoff poll, and they're playing like a top fifteen team. Every single weekend, there's a lot of teams right now that cannot say the same. That are also still ranked in the top 15. But Ole Miss has looked consistent almost every weekend this season. They've had some bad games, yes, against Alabama and Auburn, but still, right now, the Rebels are the second highest-ranked two-loss team in the country. Uh, only Baylor is is a higher-ranked two-loss team over Ole Miss. So again, I don't see this happening. Uh, But Matt Campbell, Lane Kiffin, uh, Bill thats those are the other names that I've seen for this LSU uh, position. But there's one other name that's honestly a pretty good fit, and that's Michigan State coach Mel Tucker. Now, Mel Tucker actually has some history in the SEC. He has previous stops as an assistant at LSU Georgia and Alabama. So that makes a move to the SEC for Mel Tucker fairly likely. I mean, I know there's been some conversations I've seen about Mel Tucker going to USC, but it makes a little bit more sense for Mel Tucker to come back to the SEC and coach the LSU Tigers. Uh, I, you know, I think Mel Tucker, again, one of the hottest coaches in the country, um, he has done a tremendous job. At Michigan State this season, and, and similar to you know what uh, Dave Aranda has, has accomplished at Bill, right? these are guys that just a couple years in uh, are, are really um, taking the coaching world by storm. So Mel Tucker is another name for the LSU position. One last name I'll throw out there, Alabama Offensive Coordinator Bill O'Brien. He's in his first year with the Crimson Tide, and according to what I've read, he's looking to return to a head coaching role at a premier college program. LSU fits the bill. Is Bill O'Brien a good fit for LSU? My gut says no, but we'll have to see. Uh, And and again, obviously, you you can't talk about LSU without bringing up Dave Aranda, who, yes, he's only in his second year as a head coach, but his accomplishments, both at Baylor and as an assistant at LSU, make him a very intriguing and, and appealing uh, prospect for a head coach um, position, so I, I wouldn't be surprised. There, there's a lot of names. I mean, th- this is certainly the biggest vacancy this season, the LSU uh, position, I would say. But there's a lot of names from all over that are floating around right now uh, in terms of who could be the next coach for the LSU Tigers. For USC, obviously now uh, Clay Helton, excuse me, Clay Helton uh, is. No longer the coach. He was fired September 13th. Got a job a little bit uh, later in the season, a few weeks after at Georgia Southern. Uh, And some names that I've seen, the latest buzz on this continues to be Matt Campbell, Dave Aranda, Luke Fickle from Cincinnati, and James Franklin from Penn State. Now, I've, I've talked a little bit about James Franklin possibly moving from Penn State to USC, but Luke Fickle is actually a name that more and more as the weeks progress, it makes a lot of sense. It really makes a lot of sense. You know, Fickle, he is a guy that has developed Cincinnati into as close of a national brand as a group of five team can be. Like, let's let's be honest. Like, for a group of five team, Cincinnati is a fairly well-known uh, name across the country right now. Like, you know, yes, there there are, you know, people that are are, are paying attention to you know, maybe San Diego State or UT San Antonio. You know, people remember Boise State from back in the day, but Cincinnati is is right up there in the conversation with the likes of Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State, Notre Dame. Georgia, like th- those are household names. If you're a college football fan, those are household names, and Cincinnati has become part of that conversation you also have to consider that USC AD Mike Bone, he hired Luke Fickle at Cincinnati so the fact that Cincinnati has become a national brand is in a position to get a playoff spot and the AD at USC hired him at Cincinnati like what like it's just all coming together right it's it, everything is coming together and i know that Fickle you know he is from Ohio. I did some background digging on him. He's from Ohio originally, and you know if he stays at Cincinnati long enough, he's gonna have a big. Tw- he's gonna be in the Power Five, right? Cincinnati is set to join the Big Twelve, so he will be a head coach in a Power Five conference. But he certainly may be more open to taking an elite level job in a, a very winnable league. Like honestly, of all the of all the conferences out there. The Pac-12 is probably the most winnable year after year. I mean, there's there's usually two or three teams that are in contention for the title every season, and feels like almost you know if you get past a few games, you're you're in pretty good you know you're you're you're, you're set in terms of making a, a conference championship and possibly winning the conference. So again, I think Luke Fickle from Cincinnati's got to be the most obvious pick for this for this USC job. But other candidates, again, like we've said his name now for almost every vacancy, Dave Aranda from Baylor, a guy that has accomplished so much, uh, actually is from California. He grew up in Redlands, California, um, so there's potential there. James Franklin, it's been interesting. His name has been floated around for this USC job the most and certainly the longest. Uh, I, I don't know if Franklin wants to move on from Penn State, but you know he may be ready for a fresh start. He may feel like the fans or the administration are sort of souring on him a little bit. I mean Penn State has certainly had an up and down last few seasons. remember the COVID start where they were top 10? AP preseason went on to go 0 and5 in their first five games. First AP top 10 preseason team. To start the season 0-5 in college football history. And they haven't exactly had the best record against the Ohio States and the other big teams in the Big Ten. So maybe James Franklin's willing to take a chance, move out to L.A. and and start you know fresh at USC. It, it remains to be seen, but certainly you can't count him out. Franklin's name has been floated around now for what feels like months. Uh, let's talk Virginia. You know, we talked about Virginia Tech a little bit earlier. Didn't we? Yeah, we talked about Virginia Tech. Um, there are some other names that I didn't get to in the earlier conversation that I did want to bring up for the Virginia Tech um, position. And what I've seen is Brent Venables from Clemson, defensive coordinator, Tony Elliott, uh, offensive coordinator at Clemson. Uh, obviously, we talked about Shane Beamer a little bit earlier. And Texas A&M defensive coordinator Mike Elko uh, are all names that I've seen floated around. None of those names really stand out to me. The one name that does, and the guy that I haven't mentioned yet, Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze is, listen, say what you want about Hugh Freeze, what you think of him as a person and all that, and everything that happened while he was at Ole Miss. This guy is too good of a coach with too much of a proven track record to not have another shot. There have been coaches that have done far worse. Bobby Petrino, right? Like, it, it, you know, you, I could list off 10, 12 names of coaches who have done terrible things and have still gotten additional opportunities. Yes, the old Miss issue and the way that he had to lead the program, the NCAA violations that followed that, that might be a deal breaker for some schools, but that was also six years ago. And he beat Virginia Tech last season, right? He, the, the Liberty Flames beat Virginia Tech last season. So if you're the Hokies, I think you'd be a fool not to take a long look at this guy who's already coaching a team in your state. And you can argue that Liberty is a better team right now than Virginia Tech, at least where the program sits today. So I think Hugh Freeze is a name that a lot of people – might start to take seriously for that head coach position at, uh, at Virginia Tech. Let's see who else do we need to talk about here? We talked about Washington. We've talked about TCU, we talked about Washington State. That's pretty much it for the vacancies. Now there are some other schools where we, we could see we could see some firings. Um, obviously the, the hottest seat right now, it's got to be Manny Diaz at at Miami. I mean, the the blown lead and the loss to Florida State this past Saturday, that really turned the heat up on on Manny Diaz again. Um, you know, he has has not had uh, a great tenure at Miami. It's been very up and down. There's just been some really, if you're a Miami fan, just infuriating decisions and mistakes. Uh, on and off the field, um, you know, on, on Monday, actually, a report came out that former players, former Miami players, are gathering to discuss the state of the program. That's never a good sign. That's not a good sign. And, you know, one of the things about Miami, one of the biggest challenges about coaching at a school like Miami is there, there's so much external noise. The external noise and pressure when you're the head coach of the Miami Hurricanes, it's got to be, if not the loudest, one of the loudest in the country. I mean, the expectations, you know, and just what fans, former players, alumni, administration, what they expect from a program that, that doesn't always really have the biggest budget. Like, a lot of people don't realize, but... Miami's budget, athletically, is is not what many marquee programs are at. And so, you know, it, it, I think for Manny Diaz, for him to be back in 2022, he's got to beat Virginia Tech at home, and he's got to beat Duke on the road. He'll finish 7-5, and five, make a bowl game, get a possibility for an eighth win, and I think he's back in 2022. If he loses those two games, I think he's out. I mean, you've got to beat Duke on the road. You've got to beat Duke on the road. And you should be able to handle Virginia Tech at home. You should be able to handle a Virginia Tech team that just lost their head coach. Like you got to get that done. If they can't win those games, I think Manny Diaz is looking for a new job in in 2022. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know if he'll be fired, but you got to think if you can't win those two games and reach bowl eligibility, it's it's not uh, it's not looking good for your prospects. Um, but, yeah, those are the vacancies right now in college football. Um, again, lots up in the air with regards to who could go where and what coaches would be good fits, but that's a that's a pretty comprehensive review of every vacancy right now in college football and, and certainly the big ones, and uh, we'll see how it all develops. It'll certainly get interesting as the regular season wraps up, as we get into The postseason because a lot of schools are trying to get the jump on this so that they don't get behind with recruiting. You know, you got early signing periods now, and so there's so many more elements at play, and that's why you see a lot of these head coaching vacancies. You know, they're pushing to fill it as soon as possible because they don't want to get behind the eight ball. Because once you're behind on recruiting, it could take a year or two to really catch back up, and it's just not a game you want to be playing. Okay. Let's take our first break of the show. We will come back and talk about the updated college football playoff rankings. The committee released those on Tuesday. We'll talk about uh, some movers and what we expected and what we thought we were going to get, what we didn't get, and then where teams will probably fall in the coming weeks. That discussion is next. Welcome back to the show. Again, thanks so much for tuning in to After Further Review. I'm Jay Smith. Let's talk a little college football playoff rankings now. The committee updated their rankings on Tuesday. We didn't, we didn't see too many big movers or any really big surprises. Um, you know, I, and Really, the top seven right? It was unchanged. There was no drama there at all in the past. Maybe we you know, used to see the committee sort of and move teams up or down depending on their week-to-week performance, but didn't really see that, right? I mean, the top seven unchanged. You did see Oklahoma drop five spots after suffering their first loss of the season. You saw Texas A&M drop five spots after their loss to Ole Miss. And NC State dropped four spots after their loss to Wake Forest. Other than that, uh, everybody was trending up. I mean, you did have Auburn and Purdue that dropped from the rankings as well, but, uh, you know, everyone else was, was trending up. So there wasn't a whole lot of change here. I mean, there's that not much different this week than what it was last week. Uh, you obviously have Georgia at 1, Alabama at 2, Oregon three, Ohio State four, and then your first two teams out, Cincinnati and Michigan. And then you got Michigan State all the way down there at seven, which seems strange because Michigan State beat Michigan, right? Like, we, we remember that, that happening, uh, but for some reason that head to head doesn't matter but when Oregon and Ohio State played the head to head mattered because Oregon is ranked above Ohio State what what is this like why why are we doing this why are we wh- if you're the committee why are you opening the door for these sorts of contradictions and and, and like what like because Well, I understand, you know, it it, at the end of the day is entirely subjective in terms of evaluating the best 25 teams, right? I mean, yes, there are some, like Georgia, obviously they're the number one team. That's easy, pencil it in, you're done. But uh, there are, you know, sometimes where you're like, geez, you know, is this team 12th or are they 14th or where, where, where do they belong? And it's hard when you tell us, Hey, uh, you know, non-conference matters, head-to-head matters, conference championships matter. Well, Michigan and Michigan State literally played head-to-head. They literally played head-to-head, and you've got the Wolverines at six, and the Spartans at at seven, and that's unchanged, right? From uh, well, it is. It is changed from a, a week ago, because obviously Michigan State dropped some spots after their loss. But again, I, I just don't understand why if they're both one-loss teams and the head-to-head is in favor of the Spartans, why wouldn't you just put the Spartans above the Wolverine? Like that just, you know, even even in the Big Ten standings, Michigan State is above Michigan right now. Like in their own division, Michigan State's ranked above Michigan. And I'm talking about two teams that really don't even matter because Ohio State's still undefeated. As much as it pains me to say, Ohio State looks like they're going to win the East. They're 7-0 in conference play, and it's you know going to take um, a win by the Spartans this Saturday to, to probably lock up the East. And then Michigan State has to go on to beat... Penn State, right? So if, if you're Michigan State, you're traveling to the Horseshoe this weekend. You got to win that game, hand Ohio State their first loss of the season. You have to beat Penn State to avoid your second conference loss. Now, if both Michigan State, if, if Michigan State loses to Penn State and Ohio State loses to Michigan, boy, that's crazy. But if it were to happen that last week of the year, I think, yeah, Michigan State would still get in to the Big Ten Championship because they would be two, they would both have two losses and Michigan State would hold the tiebreaker over Ohio State. Yes, that's correct. So again, Michigan State has an opportunity this weekend, right? They take care of business at the horseshoe, they're in the driver's seat. If they lose, I think that eliminates yeah, they, they would be out because Ohio State at most would have one loss in conference play. Michigan state would then have two. So or well wait a minute now if Michigan if Michigan wins their game this weekend and goes into the Ohio State game with only a single loss if they beat Maryland which you'd think is entirely possible if they beat Ohio State both Michigan and Ohio State will have a single loss Michigan will hold the tiebreaker. Wow. So, yeah, the Big the Big Ten is still all up in the air, at least on the east side of things. But realistically, I'm expecting Ohio State to emerge. Uh, I don't think Michigan State's going to win at the horseshoe. It could come down to Michigan and Ohio State at the end of the season to determine the Big Ten east. That's what we want. That's what we've been waiting for. As a college football fan, that's what I want to see. I want to see divisions decided in November, right? I want to see close divisions with good teams, competitive teams, and give me some interesting football. Give me a reason to watch. Like, I'm not just going to watch the game because it's a game. I want a reason to watch your game over the other 60 games on TV. And this will be a reason to watch the Ohio State-Michigan game. It could very likely determine the winner of the Big Ten East. As far as all this goes for the playoff, as far as all this goes for the playoff, look, if Michigan State loses to Ohio State this weekend, they're dropping outside the top 10. They're out. They've eliminated themselves. If Ohio State loses to Michigan State this weekend, they're dropping out. Well, they won't drop out the top 10, but that's a whole other story. They'll probably be like eight, eight or nine. Um, but the Buckeyes will have eliminated themselves from college football playoff. discussion. I mean, you know, when you're 2 lost team... You need other teams to lose for you to get in. That's what I mean when I say you've eliminated yourself from the college football playoff discussion. Not necessarily from the playoff itself, but from the current discussion as it stands now, yes, you have eliminated yourself because you have multiple losses. One-loss teams, they can still be in that conversation. They don't always control their own destiny, but they're usually in that conversation. right? Alabama's in the conversation. Oregon's in the conversation. Even Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State are all still in the conversation. Um, Notre Dame is lurking down there at eight, hoping, hoping that everybody loses. Like Notre Dame's just hoping for chaos, because I don't see a path for the Fighting Irish. But that's the only way that they're going to get in, is if a bunch of teams start dropping ball games. Uh, so we're going to see some some Big Ten cannibalization here down the stretch in the last two weeks of the regular season. I am here for it. I am all about it, and I can't wait to watch. Same thing in the SEC, right? Alabama. They win the West and they take on Georgia and they lose to Georgia. They're not getting in the playoff. So Alabama will eliminate themselves with another loss. If the unthinkable happens and they somehow beat Georgia, then everything gets everything gets screwed up. Every projection gets screwed up because there are, there are not many people right now that I, I know that really think Alabama could beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. Like Georgia is far and away the best team in the country, most dominant team in the country, and they really should mop the floor with Alabama. Alabama has not looked good at all this season uh, down from multiple stretches. Like, not just for a game or two, but, like, it's been multiple stretches during this season where it's been like, eek, Alabama looks bad. Like, they're they're not the same Alabama that we're used to seeing. But the same can be said for every other football team in the country except for Georgia. Even Cincinnati, they've had moments where it hasn't looked as clean as it probably should have. So, again, with these rankings, you know, there wasn't a lot of movement, especially at the top. I mean, we saw teams move up, right? Old Miss moves up three spots after their win. Baylor moves up two spots. Wisconsin moves up three. Iowa Pitt, San Diego State, they all move up three. Uh, Arkansas is up four. Like, there was some movement up, but at the same time, none of that matters. None of that matters it has no impact on the playoff. It just makes those teams feel good that they're ranked in the committee's rankings. Uh, I, I, to be honest with you, if I'm being completely honest, I would not mind just having the committee rank the top ten. Like, why do we even need to have the committee rank the top twenty-five? No one cares. I don't care who's 23rd. It doesn't matter. It has no impact on the playoff at all. All that matters are your top 10 teams. Your first four and, right, who are the four teams that are currently going to make your playoff? And then give me six more. there's right, your first two out and then four more teams. And that right there, that should cover it. Like, if you're not in the top 10, you're probably not going to make the playoff. Like, you're not going to make the playoff. And I don't know the statistics on if a team has ever started in the committee's rankings outside the top 10 and then gone on to make the playoff. But if it's happened, it hasn't happened often. Maybe once. Once or twice, if it's ever happened. Because, again, at this point in the year, you're waiting, what, eight weeks into the season to release these rankings. We don't need, we don't care. I don't care who's 19th. I don't care that San Diego State is 19th it has it has no impact on the playoff it does not matter like why even have those rankings i think if you're going to do it like this just do just do your top 10 do your top 10 make everybody else guess or go reference the the ap poll <laughs> if they want to make their eyes bleed go reference the ap poll and call it a day like why are we why are we ranking 25 teams why are we ranking 10 at 25 teams? If this is how we're going to rank stuff, what's what's even the point? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, this is going to change so much because the Big Ten, two of those teams are, are – listen, three Big Ten East teams are in the top seven. That's half like, – like, like, that's half. Half the top seven is Big Ten East teams. Two of those teams are going to get canceled out. An SEC team from the West, Alabama – they're going to get canceled out. So at the end of the day, what do you have? Well, as we've talked about this from basically week four on, you're going to have an SEC champion, Georgia. You're going to have, a, we'll say a Big Ten champion, a one-loss Big Ten champion, likely with their resume, their strength of schedule, will become the second seed over any other potential undefeated team. So that's that's your number two team. Right? So it's Georgia at 1, let's say Ohio State's 2, undefeated Cincinnati will be 3, they will be 3, if they're undefeated, if they're not undefeated, then they're out, obviously they can't lose a game, so if they're undefeated, they're going to be 3, they'll play Ohio State, and 4, right now, right now as it stands, will be Oregon, your Pac-12 champion. The Ducks are still 3. The Ducks are still three in the committee's poll, and they are above Notre Dame, who's an independent who will not have the boost to their resume that a conference championship brings. They're above the best team in the Big 12 right now, Oklahoma State. They're above the best team in the ACC right now, Wake Forest. I can't believe I just said that, but yes, Wake Forest is the best team in the ACC right now. So, Oregon is actually poised to get the Pac-12 back in the playoff. Now, The Ducks are going to be playing Georgia. The Ducks are going to be playing Georgia. A one-loss Oregon will not leapfrog Cincinnati. They they won't do it. But that's what you're looking at right now with the playoff. you're looking at an SEC champion in Georgia, a Big Ten champion in Ohio State, an American non-Power 5 champion in Cincinnati, right? undefeated, has to be undefeated, and your fourth team are the one-loss Pac-12 champ Oregon Ducks. That's your playoff. Take it to the bank. Lock it in. Like, where? what else could potentially happen? You could see some chaos. You could see some chaos within the Big Ten East, right, where we just went through that scenario in the previous segment. You could see Oregon lose in the Pac-12 championship game. Never underestimate Oregon's ability to screw themselves up. Like, Oregon will always find a way to ruin their chances. Notre Dame is lurking. Oklahoma State is... They're lurking. They're 9-1. Even Wake Forest... Now, Wake Forest needs... like. Oh my gosh! I could. You need a book. Wake Forest needs Alabama to lose to Georgia, Michigan and Michigan State to lose to Ohio State, Cincinnati to lose, Oregon to lose, Notre Dame to lose, and probably Oklahoma State. Like basically, almost every team, almost every team above them, except for Georgia and Ohio State. I guess. I guess it doesn't matter if like Notre Dame were to win. Out or Oklahoma State would run out because then Wake Forest would get bumped up into the fourth spot. But to feel comfortable, like, seven seven of the nine teams above Wake Forest would need to lose. At least a game, if not more. I, it's just it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. The Demon Deacons are not making the playoff. They are not—ACC is not making the playoff. It is not happening. Not happening for Wake Forest. So, yeah, I mean— that's that's it. That's how you, I mean, when you look at these rankings, that's what's going to happen. That, that's your. Those are your scenarios. Those are your scenarios. Either everything goes chalk, like we expect it to, and it's pretty straightforward, with the SEC champ, the Big Ten champ, the non-power five champ, uh, your Pac-12 champ, or it's just absolute chaos. Georgia loses to Alabama. Ohio State, Michigan State, Michigan all trade games. You know, Oregon wins out. Uh, Cincinnati wins out. Notre Dame wins out. Like, it it, it, it could get really messy (laughs) really quickly. But realistically, at this point, we we know what's likely to happen. So it wouldn't surprise me if we saw uh, Georgia, Ohio State, Cincinnati, and Oregon in the playoff at the end of the season. But as we do every week, we will give our thoughts on the rankings Talk about them. See what's new. Not much new this week. We'll see what's what's around the corner next week. We got one last break. We're going to take when we come back. We're going to preview each of the matchups in the Week 12 Pick 'Em League. You don't want to miss that to get your picks in. It's next. Welcome back to Afr. Last segment of this episode of After Further Review. Appreciate you sticking around and tuning in. Whether you are listening to AFR as a podcast or you're watching on Facebook, do appreciate it. As always, last segment of every Thursday show, you know what it is, it's time for some pick 'em preview. Let's do the week 12 games. We got 10 of them, and we'll go ahead and run through them. First up, Iowa State taking on Oklahoma. The Sooners looking to bounce back after their loss last week at the hands of the Baylor Bears. I'm thinking Oklahoma will will get through this matchup. This is this is a sleep sleep. Yeah, you oh know, Iowa State. That's a that's a team you can't sleep on. I, it took me a minute to get my words out there and what I wanted to say, but I Iowa State. They may be six and four, but Matt Campbell, as we talked about earlier in the show, he always fields competitive teams. Uh, Iowa State is always a team you got to take seriously. They almost, you know, won the Big 12 last season. Oklahoma though, I think shouldn't have too many issues against the Cyclones and you got to think if they're able to figure out their quarterback play, they'll be in they'll be in pretty good shape. They, you know, and, and it's a home game, right? This game's at Norman for the Sooners. Um and offensively, they uh, have you know been they played better at home than on the road, uh, so I'm expecting Oklahoma to win. But this one could be pretty tight. This is a this is a close pick, and honestly, you know I think there's going to be a lot of people out there that will pick Iowa State, and they have good reason to. The Cyclones they have a chance to beat Oklahoma this weekend. Next up, we got a really, really good game. It's Michigan State traveling to the horseshoe to take on Ohio State. Now, we talked about this game a little bit earlier in the show. Certainly the, the implications, we don't need to review it again. It's a big game, and you know, the outcome will more than likely determine who represents the Big Ten East and the Big Ten Championship. Um Ohio State's offense, you know, behind CJ Stroud has been more explosive and more efficient this season than Michigan State. Now, the Spartans are still putting up great numbers, and you can't, you know, take away anything they've done offensively, but their real weakness is on defense, and it's really been the secondary. The secondary has been a weak point for Michigan State all season long. Remember, they're allowing, on average, 330 yards through the air a game. Ohio State's going to take advantage of that. They're a team that averages 360 yards through the air. So that plays right into their hand. C.J. Stroud, expect him to have a near career day. I think he's going to light up the Spartans. My heart tells me Michigan State. My brain tells me Ohio State the buckeyes are going to get it done it'll be a close game a tight game a physical game and that's important that's important ohio state will be they will be forced to play a physical game against the spartans which could hinder them in the matchup the next week against michigan so two huge games back to back for the buckeyes and whether or not players go down and get injured in this game that that matters right that has a huge impact on how Ohio State will be going into uh, that Michigan game health-wise. So I'm going with the Buckeyes, but it'll be a good game. It should be a great game. Next up, we got Wake Forest and Clemson. Wow. Um, Listen, Clemson has pretty much been the same team all season. I kept thinking... Okay, there will be some development. We'll see some maturation at quarterback from the skilled players. You know, Maybe the O-line gets better. That, no. No, no, and no. To all three of those questions, the answer is no, no, and no. <laughs> uh, Clemson has struggled uh, a lot this season. They're 7-3. They just as easily could be 2-8. and eight. I mean, it's really been that kind of year for Clemson. Now, I am of the opinion that if Clemson had even a semi-competent offense, like, not good, but just competent, they'd be a one-loss team. They'd be a one-loss team. Mostly because of how weak their schedule is, right? Like, the Georgia game, you excuse it, at the beginning of the year, people would, have forget, people would have forgotten that. If Clemson was a one-loss team right now, they're a top-ten team, no question. Top-ten team, no question. Yeah. I mean... I mean, you know, they have a top-five defense. Their defense, yes, it's beat up. Yes, they're banged up. Yes, they've had guys go out and get injured. But that's mostly been because of the fault of the offense not being able to stay on the field and move the ball. You know how I many three and outs Clemson has had this season? This has been their fewest uh, – they've had fewer explosive plays this year than in any other year in Dabo Sweeney's tenure. And explosive plays are measured in terms of 20 yards or more. So Clemson's had fewer 20 yards or more plays this year than any other year that Dabo's coached. And that right there, that's the story. That's the story. Clemson has no downfield threats. They can't move the ball and gash defenses either through the ground or through the air. And it's just stale. It's stale play calling the quarterback is petrified when he goes out on the field. Guys look lost. The o line, it just is terrible. I mean, it's just all awful for Clemson. And yet they somehow are seven and three. And you might be wondering, how is that? Well, it's that defense. It's that defense. Yes, that defense is banged up. Yes, they've had a lot of injuries, like the number of of, of injured players on Clemson's roster is is just mind-numbing. Right? I was looking at the injury report for the Tigers last week, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, at what point do you have to get the scout team guys in there to, to take some snaps? Like, it's just been a brutal year uh, of injuries at Clemson. That being said, Wake Forest doesn't care. Wake Forest is coming to win a football game. And honestly... They very well could do it. The Demon Deacons have the offensive capability to score 27, 28 points against Clemson. Like, Wake Forest is going to score. They are going to score. They're going to uh, gash Clemson on more than one occasion. And I'm expecting the Demon Deacons to put up, again, mid to high 20s. I think 24, 28, maybe they creep into the low 30s at 31 with a field goal. Clemson's going to have to have to match, I, I, I think, I, you know, for this game, magic number's 30. Whoever hits thirty first is in prime position to win the game. If Clemson's offense comes out and struggles as they've struggled all year long, at home or away, doesn't matter, I, I think they lose. I think they lose at home and they snap the longest home winning streak in the country. It's what, like 33 or 34 games right now? It's something absurd. They haven't lost a home game since Pitt in 20, 2016, I want to say, or 2017. Like, I, I was at that game. I remember that game. Uh, it was a 43-42 loss for Clemson. And it was their last home loss. It's it's nuts. But Wake Forest could end that streak. It, it would be Wake Forest's first win against Clemson since 2008 and their first win at Death Valley since 1996. It may happen this weekend. It may happen this weekend. Honestly, I, I think the Demon Deacons will give Clemson a really tough game. And, I, you know, I, I think somehow Clemson's defense will find a way. And And I know there's going to be people that say, well, you're just homering for Clemson and, and you're picking them. And, I, you know, I've watched so many Clemson games this season and I have seen Clemson's defense come up big when it matters the most. Now, to be fair, there have been a lot of games where the opposing offense chokes. Like, it's been sometimes less about Clemson winning that game on defense and more the offense on the other team losing that game, right? Like, Boston College comes to mind. Like, all sorts of games come to mind. Syracuse. Like, it, it's just... Lots of examples of that. However, I think at home, Clemson has a chance. If this was a road game... Wake Forest would run all over them. The only reason I think Clemson has a chance and will win this game is because it's at home, to be honest with you. like I don't think the Tigers can win a road game. I don't think they can. Um, I think they lose to South Carolina next week. I I really do. They, They just have looked terrible. They have not improved at all, and they're probably the flattest football team in the country right now but I still think they beat Wake Forest. I really do. And Dabo is going to use that as a you know a, a rallying cry. Hey, listen, we beat a top ten team. Air quotes. If you're not watching the podcast, I am using air quotes when I say top ten team. Wake Forest is a good football team, but I don't know about the you know top ten. It's it's it's, it's a little generous. It's like Arkansas. But I think Clemson wins. I've spent too much time talking about this game. I got to move on. Tigers win, but God, it's gonna be an ugly game. I don't I don't want to watch that game. Next up, Arkansas and Alabama. Uh the tide will win. They will win handily. This game is at Brian Denny Stadium. The Razorbacks will be treated about as well as they were treated in Athens when they played Georgia. They may score. Georgia didn't let Arkansas score, right? It was a 38-0 shutout. I think Alabama might give up a touchdown or two. Maybe. Maybe Arkansas breaks 10 points. Wouldn't that be something? It's not going to be close. The tide will roll over the Razorbacks. Next up, SMU taking on Cincinnati. This is a this is a good game. This is a really good game out of the American. The Mustangs 8-2 on the year. Obviously, there's, you know, we talked about it earlier in the show, right? Sonny Dykes, their head coach. His name's been floated around for a lot of different positions. And then now Luke Fickle on the Cincinnati side. His name is starting to circulate for head coaching vacancy. Um, spots right now so these two coaches have to keep their teams focused ignore that outside chatter and also themselves right they also have to keep themselves honest and focus on preparing for these games and you know showing up uh, with with you know the competitive attitude that you need to have uh, Cincinnati right now, is in position to make the playoff. With the chaos that we're about to see across the Big Ten and the SEC these next few weeks, Cincinnati will make the playoff if they're undefeated. No ifs, ands, or buts. The Bearcats need to win this game. They will win this game, and they will move to 11-0. Another 10-0 team that nobody, literally nobody, is talking about, the UT San Antonio uh, Roadrunners. Uh, They are taking on UAB this weekend in a pretty underrated matchup right UAB is 7 and 3 really excited for UAB right this is a school that you know didn't have a football program for a handful of years brought it back and the Blazers are you know they're competitive again right 7 and 3 is, is awesome to see and UT San Antonio Roadrunners are 10 and 0 they're one of now three undefeated teams at the FBS level obviously Georgia Cincinnati and UT San Antonio the last last undefeated teams in uh, at the FBS level. And I think the Roadrunners will continue their streak and get to 11-0 and beat UAB. Louisiana taking on Liberty is our next game. The Raging Cajuns at 9-1 aren't getting any love in the polls, but they are getting a lot of love this season in the win column. Uh, they've had a great year. They've had a, a great year. Liberty has also had a great year, and you could argue that Liberty's schedule has been tougher than Louisiana's, which explains why the Flames have three losses compared to Louisiana's one. But listen, Liberty still lost UL Monroe uh, a few weeks back on October 16th. It was a close game, 31-28, but the Flames have been inconsistent in times. Both these teams statistically... Nearly identical, like stat sheet wise. There's there's not a lot of differences here, um, but Louisiana has been a more consistent team, and I think they will. Um, I think they'll they'll play a good ball game against Liberty, and I think they'll find a way to get it done. It should be a really close game. I think this is going to be again an exciting game to watch. Like it's not going to get a lot of hype. It's kicking off at four o'clock on ESPNU. But it's one you should tune into if you got the time. Like this is going to be a fun, exciting game. Louisiana, though, will get it done. All right, we got Baylor and Kansas State next up. The Wildcats are actually a pretty good Big Twelve team. I was uh, working on the college football crew uh, this past week when Kansas State uh, took on West Virginia, and I was I was impressed. I mean, listen, Deuce Vaughn for Kansas State. The guy is a stud. If he was on a team with a better record, I think he'd be in the Heisman conversation. I'm not saying he's going to win the Heisman, but he would be in the conversation. This, If Deuce Vaughn was at Alabama, he'd be in the in the Heisman conversation. Um, but regardless, you have to uh, look at Baylor, uh, the team, across the field from you. The Bears, 8-2 on the year, have played great football, took down Oklahoma last week. And Dave Aranda is a defensive guy. He knows how explosive and how lethal a guy like Deuce Vaughn is. If Kansas State can, and I, again, I, yeah, this is coming from somebody who has covered the game, if Kansas State can't get yards with Deuce Vaughn, they can't do anything, right? They are the most one-dimensional team in the Big 12. They run with Deuce, Deuce Vaughn, they throw to Deuce Vaughn, Deuce Vaughn hikes it to himself, like, that, that's all, they, that's their entire offense, is Deuce Vaughn. Uh, if Baylor shuts him down or puts two guys on him, it's going to be a long day for the Wildcats. I think... Baylor will be in a close one. This will be a good matchup for the Bears to test and see how well can Dave Aranda scheme for a guy as explosive as Deuce Vaughn. But ultimately, I'm expecting the Bears to pull this one out. Still, though, this is a game you can't sleep on if you're Baylor. All right, we got a couple more games. Let's let's go through them here. we got Oregon and Utah, some Pac-12 action. Listen, the Ducks... Again, they they sort of understand the situation there. And Mario Cristobal talked about it in his press conference this week. He's like, hey, we're in a driver's seat. We are in front of everybody um, that we need to be in front of with regards to being in you know, the Pac-12 and then a lot of the other one-loss teams. Like, the only other one-loss team in front of Oregon is Alabama. And, yeah, that's fine, whatever. But, like, Alabama's about to get thrashed by Georgia in the SEC Championship game. So Oregon potentially could be the top-ranked one-loss team going into the playoff. Now, as we talked about with the Big Ten, the strength of schedule, the back end, how they load it, you'd expect the Big Ten champion to leapfrog a Pac-12 champion if they're both one-loss. It could get a little dicey, though, if it ends up being Oregon and Ohio State, respectively, because of the head-to-head there. That that would make things a little interesting, uh, but for this matchup, I think Oregon will be fine. Uh, the U- Utah has had some issues on defense this season, and they're seven and three. They're a good football team, but I think Oregon's offense will be too much for Utah, and they'll find a way to get it done. And last up, we've got Arizona State and Oregon State, the Beavers, six and four on the year, possibly becoming respectable again. Uh, and Arizona State obviously behind the uh, the mind of. Uh, Herm Edwards right Herm Edwards coaching for the Sun Devils uh, he's put together a nice 7 and 3 year for them and again on paper these teams pretty identical uh, you know you can look at, at common opponents and and see that okay you know Oregon State uh, they beat Utah earlier in the season 42 34 for Arizona State lost to Utah 35-21 uh, both of these teams both Arizona State and Oregon State lost to Washington State, the Cougars have really made um, some impressive strides th- this season um, and, and, and have impressed a lot of people. But I think when it comes down to it, the, the big thing will be Oregon State's uh, issues in their secondary on defense. They just haven't had the consistency there. They've allowed big chunk plays, and Arizona State has got a pretty—they're uh, they're a pretty balanced offense, but they'll be able to pick you apart score some points, and I I wouldn't be surprised to see the Sun Devils come out on top in this matchup. But again, this is a great slate of games. This is a great slate of games. And what I really like about this particular slate for this week is that it's not all like big Power 5 games, right? we got some awesome games mixed in there like Louisiana and Liberty, UAB, UT San Antonio, SMU, Cincinnati. Those are Arguably, better games than Wake Forest and Clemson. <laughs> I mean, no events to the ACC, but oh, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a bad game to watch. I am not looking forward to uh, to watching that game. Um, I still think Clemson finds a way, but it honestly, I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if Wake Forest won. Like, I, I, I either outcome, right? Like, if Clemson wins, they'll be like, ah, okay, yeah, defense. If Wake Forest wins, I will not be shocked at all. Like, I. I won't be shocked because, frankly, Clemson's due. They are due for a loss with the way they've been playing. Uh, But it's still a great slate of games this weekend. Definitely tune into as many as you can and get your picks in. Uh, The league has been a lot of fun this season, and it's something that I enjoy doing every single year. But that's it. We're out of time for this episode of After Further Review. Again, appreciate you tuning in. We'll have a show for you on Monday to break down all of these games and talk about uh, the upcoming regular season finale week. There's only a couple weeks left, and then we'll be getting into our uh, conference championship previews. Those will be a lot of fun, so stick to, uh, stay tuned for all that content. It'll be coming your way very soon. Until then, have a good one and enjoy the games this weekend. I'm Jay Smith, and this has been After Further Review.